Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Between Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We're live and in person after quite a long hiatus there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I had an extended vacation during the month of November, so we missed several shows. But yeah. Now we're back live and in person. I see all our lines lit up already. All right. Let's go to our first line. We've got Peter online. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Doing good. Good. I wonder if you guys can help me. I have a 1999 Toyota Camry. Okay. And I went to start it. It was in the garage. You turn the key, cranks over good, but there's mm-hmm. no start. Okay. So I was wondering if you can have a good do yourselfer. I was wondering if you guys can run through the diagnostics uh, sure. for me. On a no start, it's, it's basically always one of three things. You know, you got to have fire, you got to have fuel, and you got to have compression. And the whole thing to me is to go to the easiest things to check first. And, of course, usually the easiest thing is to check the spark on that one because you can pull a plug wire or something and check it. On the ones with call over, it's a little more difficult. But if you've got spark, then that's going to leave fuel and compression. Now, compression is relatively difficult to check. Fuel is a little easier. If you go in on that one, you've got a fuel filter on the firewall, a little banjo nut. You have to take it off, put a fuel pressure gauge on, and you can check the fuel pressure. And I think when you emailed us morning, you had said that that fitting had seized up right, on fuel filter. Right. I, didn't, I didn't even know they had a fuel filter until uh, I started looking into yeah, it. Yeah, and see, that may be the original fuel filter on almost a 20-year-old car because it they don't get changed is. often. So it may be that it's seized up. Those are difficult to remove because they get real, real tight. The easiest thing, do not remove it from the firewall. Leave the bracket on the firewall. Some people will take that loose. Then it's squirming around. It gets 10 times harder. If it's possible to get a socket to it, you want a six-point socket, not a 12-point socket. You can get it on there with a breaker bar, and sometimes you can get it loose. If it's not possible to get a socket to it, you can find a six-point boxed-in wrench and get on it. And sometimes you have to get like a pry bar in there and pry against the wrench. They get real, Mm -hmm. real, real tight. Now, you want to be careful that you don't turn the filter because if you turn the filter, you're going to bend the fuel line. At the bottom. Right. So if right. you can if you can get a backup on it like a pair of channel locks or maybe even a pipe wrench to hold the other way while you try to loosen the nut, okay. it, would, it would keep from breaking the fuel line. Right. Yeah, I did, I did see something. I, I watched a video and someone did put a wrench on mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah you, you're probably going to replace it regardless, so it doesn't matter right. too much if you damage the filter. So I can even use, I can even use vice grip. Sure. How right. About, um, I'm kind of a newbie. I got an mm-hmm. impact wrench. Mm-hmm. We, get a, we get a lot of rust up here. Right, on our right. Suspension components. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of my favorite tool now. Would that be a problem? If I, uh, as long as you get a six-point socket, you don't want a 12-point socket because if you once round that nut off at the top, yeah. you, right. you're going to make the problem a lot worse. Right. So I would probably... the bottom too, right? There's a, like a, it's a, an inverted flare, flare. a inverted flare at the bottom. And the only problem there, those usually will come off. But if you turn that filter, you can twist that line and even twist and break that line. Then you got a much bigger problem. So you want to yeah, try right. to 
you know, I'll be calling you next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like the first line of Hippocratic Oath, you know, do no harm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. you want to avoid. It worked, it worked till I fixed it. Yeah, yeah. W- avoid making it worse. Now, alternatively, Peter, if you just want a diagnostic procedure, just a little trick that we use sometimes, get a can of starting fluid from a parts store. Spray a little bit of starting fluid down the air horn, crank it, and if it immediately cranks up and dies, then you are pretty certain that it's going to be a fuel-related problem because it, that will temporarily serve as a fuel, so it'll crank up but die. If you do that and it doesn't crank up and die, then it's probably not going to be a fuel-related problem. You might just elect not to go into all that right now until you find what the real problem is. Right. So that's kind of a down-and-dirty way to just verify if it is. Now, let's say you spray some starting fluid in it cranks immediately and then dies. Next thing, go to the fuel pump with a voltmeter and see if you've got power and ground to the fuel pump when you turn the key on. Now, you're only going to have it for a second. Only for a second. Then it'll go away because it, when it sees it doesn't start, it's going to cut it off. But if you have a surge oh, really? of power, and then, yeah, if you just go to it and check, it's not going to have any because it's going to key on. Just with the ignition on, or do you have to put it no, on start? No, you, you will have to turn the key to start and have a – so you take two people to do it. See, when you crank the car, it's going to send power to the fuel pump for three to five seconds, and then it's going to drop all out so it doesn't flood the engine. Okay. So if you got no power going to the fuel pump, well, we've got an electrical problem. Now, if you got right. you got power going to the fuel pump, it starts with, with starting fluid. You can reasonably assume the fuel pump is bad. And mm-hmm. you can go ahead and pull the pump and replace it and not have to. You, you can kind of get around this problem with the fuel filter, although it probably has got to be dealt with at some point anyway. I'd rather, I'd rather change the filter now, too. Since it would be a good idea because, like so. you said, it's probably the original one on the car, so it's 20 right. years old. Right. So so I do have spark, and I also checked my timing belt to make sure that was intact. Mm-hmm. And I took the back seat out, and I put my hand on that little porthole. Right. And I don't, I don't hear or Well, feel but you won't. So. You see, it, it, at most, it's going to run for just a few seconds, and it's going to cut off so anyway. So if you turn the key on, it's going to run a few seconds, it's going to stop. So if you just go How back there and a, put your hand on it, it won't run. Okay. How do I get a voltmeter? Do I actually disconnect the, couple, the electrical connector? Yeah, you have to take your connectors of? off. And best is to, if you got, uh, go to my uh, website and type in the word back probe. Because the mm-hmm. best thing is to back probe those terminals rather than stick something into the terminals. Because if you spread those terminals out, you'll create another right. problem. Right. So if you back probe the terminals, turn the key, cycle the ignition, you should have power between the two terminals for a few seconds. And now at the outside chance, you said you looked at the belt. Just because it's turning doesn't mean the motor's still in time. Right. It so if jump it, the if it jumped, something. if it jumped a couple of teeth, it'll still crank, but nothing right. is getting there at the right time because the timing is off now and it won't start. Right. right. But that's okay. less likely right. than, than the fuel. So I probably pretty snug. It looked really snug on there. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, got you got the top of the timing. I tried to push it. It was tight. Did you pull the timing cover off? Just cracked it a bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you can look at it, you can rotate the belt, you can kind of inspect all the teeth. If all the teeth are there, then chances right. are it's good. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, so I think, I'll, uh, I think I might go for the power, see if I have power. Yeah, just that check would be that. The That's a lot thing. easier, and if you don't yeah. have power, then there's no sense worrying about the other until you but, get power to the, the pump. Circuitry, circuitry is pretty simple, right? There's no it computer, is. so it can't be my crankshaft. Well, no, the well, computer right. is, go, is going to go into it. it computer, the PCM sends the signal to the relay to ground to make power. So, yes, it it does tie into the computer. But, again, if you turn the key to on, it should run it for three to five seconds and then cut it off. If if it's doing that, regardless of everything else. Okay. That's great. I have another question for you guys. Yeah, go ahead. So we also have in our fleet, you know, our family fleet, Mm -hmm. we have a uh, Lexus, and it has a lot of those engine covers on it. Uh It's an RX350. Right. And, you know, it's hard to see. You know, I I change the antifreeze, and you can't even tell. 
can't get to the radiator. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so kind of they, I don't, do they really serve a purpose or can I just get rid of those covers? Uh, I would leave them on there. They help to duct air around the engine and also insulates the engine compartment. And okay. they, they, they are more attractive. They make the car easier to sell if you ever get ready to sell it. But, <laughs> and, and those, <laughs> those little push clips that are on those covers, they don't oh. work the way you think they would. The little, there's a little pin right in the middle of the, the connector. Just press it in and then it releases it and pulls it out. Toyota's the only know. one I've seen like that mm-hmm. uses those. Most of them you, oh, you, you release you the listen. pull the pin out. You pull the pin up and then take the uh, retainer out. Yeah, you push those but in. But these you push Maybe. in to releases the retainer and then you can take them out. Maybe that's why I broke so many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Well, now they get brittle too. Yeah. They get brittle over time and, you right. know, having to take them on yeah. and off. Most Toyota deals apart. keep those in stock though and, we, we usually buy them in bulk. Yeah. We've got an assortment of them. But, uh, yeah, Toyota deal would normally stock those. Yeah. I wish I was closer to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> where are you calling from, Peter? Uh, Connecticut. All right. Wow. That would be a ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Maybe when I retire. There you go. Move down to the sunny south. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We, we have different problems up here. Yeah, I oh, can yeah. only imagine. You guys are always talking about batteries. It seems like my batteries last forever. Yeah. We got the rust problem. Right, right, right. Yeah, the the heat down here kills batteries. I mean, three years is a right. long, long time for a battery. So what, right now I'm researching. My problem is corrosion. I'm researching what I can put on, like, you know, the suspension. Right, right. To stop yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with all that salt down there. I know. That's it. It's gotten worse, too. Mm-hmm. The new salt. It's even worse. All right, guys. Hi, Peter. Show. Thank you very thanks, much. Thanks, Carl, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take another call here. we got Michael online. Good morning, Michael. Hey, morning, guys. Yes, sir. Good morning. I got something that I think you'll find interesting. Okay. I posted on a discussion forum how the general public views auto repair. Uh-huh. The general public, you guys have a magic machine that just tells you what Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We just we put it on the all machine. the time. <laughs> yeah, but a technician chimed in. This is a good forum, and he said that he explains to his customers that, you know, if you need to find exactly where I live, and all you have is a zip code, mm-hmm. well, then from there, you have to diagnose and investigate and find the street. Right. And then from there, it takes more and more, and it makes it doesn't make his customers happy about paying for the repair bill, right. but at least they know that you don't have a magic machine. That yeah, and that's a, that's a good pay. analogy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And another thing, the general public thinks that your scan tool is the same as a $22 code reader right. on right. Amazon. Yep. But... Uh, no, I just I, I I'm not a tech. I don't do it for a living, but I mm-hmm. listen to your show and and I get frustrated hearing, you know. So the the parts store said it was an ox, so I fixed that, and then yeah. they said it was a crank position, and they just keep doing that. Well, they, you really hate hearing that because you know this person has been abused and used and just taken advantage of, and it would have been so simple to do a few tests, but people have a natural reluctance certain things and that seems to be one of them they just don't want to test i mean i've had guys say well i put a starter on it and that didn't fix i'm like why don't you put a voltmeter at the starter first i mean that would have took 10 there anyway you were there anyway you know and that would have told you right there before you just replace the starter and unfortunately a lot of times what they'll do is go to a parts store and get a starter that's not as good as the one they're taking off you know they'll get some cheap knockoff part and put on there and create a second problem so, yeah, it gets very, very frustrating, and it, you know, you hate to hear people go through these cycles. I mean, I've, I've got people come to us, and they'll say, man, I've changed, and, and they'll and rattle off. The yeah, I've changed both the timing chains. I've changed the fuel injectors. I've changed this. I've changed this. I've changed this. I mean, rattle off $1,500, $2,000 worth of stuff, 
and you're like, well, did you check the fuel pump relay? Because <laughs> that's what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel for you guys, and I explained to family members and coworkers that a, a diagnostic trouble code is not a diagnosis. No, it's no, it's a starting point. At, at, at best, that's a starting point. Yeah, It just tells you something's yeah. wrong. All right, guys, your show is energetic. It's educational. It's fast-moving, and I really like it. Oh, well, well thank, thank you. you. All right, take care, guys. Bye, right, Michael. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Okay. okay. We got Elton on three. Good morning, Elton. Yes. I've got a O2 S10 uh-huh. that I cannot get to run up the temperature. Okay. What size engine's in it? It's four-cylinder. All right. 2. So it's 2.2 liter. Yeah. Almost always, man, an engine that won't achieve temperature is going to be the thermostat. Right. Is either stuck open or someone's taking it out or, you know, something. Because the thermostat is going to close and, you know, block the coolant flow until it gets to temperature. You know, it's going to make it get to temperature. I've changed the thermostat. Matter of fact, I've changed it three or four times. Okay. And still having the same Uh, problem? Still having the same problem. I even went to the point of blocking off the radiator Mm -hmm. and still can't get the heat. Well, okay, then now, you got something else going right. on. You might check yeah. your temperature sender and make sure that it's just not reading. I changed my, I changed my sensor. Okay, but just changing the sensor does, is not the same water. as checking it. Okay. Oh, that's, well, that's not. I took it out and uh, put it in, heated it up, mm-hmm. and it went right along with my gauge. This car never, never has built any temperature. Is this normal? No, no, no. You got something going wrong, man. Either your gauge is yeah, wrong or something like that, or you got the wrong sensor. There's two sensors on there. I mean, if you block the radiator off, it has got to get hot. Right. There's, it just can't not, you know, because there's not no coolant flow through the heads, and you got well, thousand degree temperature in the heads. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, but I'm even my heater hoses are not getting warm. Yeah, no, you got something going on there, man. You know, I'd have to see the vehicle to tell you because it's something that you're overlooking. But you know, if, if if you're blocking the flow of coolant, it's got to get hot. I mean, there's just no way it can. Yeah, I mean, it's just physically impossible. So, so I would I go go back and retrace this. Well, not so much that you got to find out. Number one, is it really getting the temperature? And the way I do that is to get a mechanical thermostat, put it down the radiator, let it run, and see if, if the water in the radiator says it's still 140 degrees when it's been running. Then yes, it's physically not getting the temperature. Now, if that's I did, the I put case, a thermostat in the radiator and it got up to maybe one twenty. Yeah, it it's got to be bypassing the somewhere, thermostat yeah. somewhere. You either got somebody's put the wrong part on this thing at some point in time, and so the thermostat doesn't seat. You know, it's got to be something like that where somebody's been in there and they've tampered with something. You got some something right. It's got to be bypassing the thermostat right. because if you close the thermostat, it blocks the water flow. It's got to get hot. Yeah, so, that's what I thought. Yeah, I would say either somebody's been in there, maybe they replaced the thermostat housing or something, got the wrong one in there or, or something like that. For some reason, some it's bypassing that thermostat. Oh. So that's the only other answer. Where are you calling from? Pardon? Well, where are you calling from? Pensacola. Okay, you're in Florida. It right. should definitely be getting hot. Yeah, I would say you're just going to have to start checking everything around that thermostat and see why it's not blocking the flow. I mean, take it out physically. If you can get the housing off, look at that. Look at the thermostat. Make sure it's closing all the way. Make sure they're giving you the right thermostat and maybe not one that's not long enough or something like that. Make sure there's no kind of modifications or anything. But something has got to keep that thermostat either from not closing or it's bypassing the thermostat. Coolant's going around it. Mm -hmm. See, almost every vehicle has a thermostatic bypass that under certain conditions it bypasses the thermostat. 
but it's supposed to block off when the engine's cold. So it's got to have something uh, like that going on where it's bypassing the thermostat. I mean, that, that would be the only reason. Any idea where it would be on this thing? Man, I don't My know. I'd, ha- I'd have to look. at it. It's going to be part of the thermostat or thermostat housing. It's going to be all right there together. It's just the way it's built. Right. You know, you've got two valves in it, one that opens, and then sometimes it's like a little plunger on the bottom of the thermostat that goes down and plugs off a second port. Okay. And, it, you know, I, I would. the thermostat see if that works. Yeah, uh, you, know, you might just I go. It, I pulled it a couple of times, uh-huh. and I'm not a mechanic either. Well, you know, what you might want to do, too, is to go to the dealership and give them the VIN number off the vehicle and order a thermostat and see if it looks like the ones you're getting. Because it's possible they got some kind of screw up in the catalog, in the catalog. and they're giving you the wrong thermostat. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I've I'll seen that, that kind of stuff happen. You know, if, if you got one that requires a bypass and it doesn't have the bypass on the thermostat, the coolant's just going to flow past the thermostat. Yeah, I'll give that a whirl. Okay. I certainly appreciate it. All righty, man. All right. Good you. luck to you. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take our first quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Plan to motor So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. But the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Our number is 291-6901. And we'll answer any automotive-related question that you have this morning. There you go. Comments, questions, just give us a call live and in person in the studio this morning. And we have an email here from a fellow named Tim in Minnesota. And Tim is one of those listeners who sends a lot of suggestions. And his suggestions are always very, very good as things he'd like to see on the show. And we always appreciate that because it gives us ideas of things to talk about that people might be interested in. And he sent three suggestions. Okay. There. And I thought we would maybe talk about that a little bit today. Sounds uh, great. Yeah, good topic. Time allowing. <laughs> yeah. I see we got another phone call here. Let's catch this first. We got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning, guys. I got a never heard of this before question. Okay. My kid lives out of town. He's got a 90 Camry. It's got multi million miles on it, but it just keeps running and uh-huh. running. He called me the other day. He said, Dad's over here. He said, All right, take it to a shop. This is what you ask him. And I said, and he said, oh, by the way, what's your credit card number? I'm like, okay. <laughs> so anyway, so he called me. He said, Dad, it's the auxiliary fan that's not running. They're going to fix it. I'm thinking, okay, you know, mm-hmm. $300 at best. He says, okay, Dad, it's fixed. I said, well, good. How much was it? He said it was $700. I was like, what? And he told me, he said, well, Dad, they said it was hydraulically actuated. And it runs off the power steering pump on this Camry. Some of them do. I've never seen that on I a Camry. No. I'm not saying it doesn't, but there are some of them that do. I've never I know seen Mercedes, it on a Camry. Mercedes did that. Yeah, Chrysler has Chrysler's done, that. done it. I don't know if I've ever seen one. I'd on have a to look it up in service data. Being that old, I just huh. don't remember. But 
It's a 90 Camry. Yeah, yeah. I just can't remember back that far. I never, I can't remember. I can't seeing recall one. ever seeing a yeah. hydraulic fan on a Camry, but I'm not going to say no, it's not. Right. You know, right. I, I'd have to see it or look it up because I just don't recall. It may have used as an option. Those are relatively expensive to repair. Now, fortunately, yeah. they very seldom ever go out. But, I mean, that did fix the problem, though. No, it works now. He says it, yeah. it, it's fine. He's well, okay. odds are that was, yeah. that was it. I mean, you know, I again, if you want to shoot me an email, I can look it up in service data and tell you. I just don't remember a 90 model. It's just been just too long ago. I'd never even heard. And he said that the, he said that the guy told him, that it comes off the power steering pump. Yeah, a lot of them do. The ones right. that have hydraulic fans on them do run off the power steering pump, and there are a number of models that have used that over the years. I've just never seen it on a Toyota, but I certainly wouldn't say no, it definitely never was. That's so, so, relatively common on some of the Chrysler products and some of the Mercedes products. So, I mean, what I mean, what goes wrong? I mean, what? It's just like a little impeller in there, and, and right, the power steering right. pump runs pressure through it. It turns right. it. And maybe maybe like, the impeller impeller's broke. Impeller might have broke, or or who knows? So the you know? next the next logical question would be: All right, what about the power steering pump? Is this going to affect the power steering pump also? Well, it could, it? but I mean, if, if the power steering's working, it's not making yeah. any noise. I wouldn't worry too much about it. But yeah, it could. I mean, it's all it's all a hydraulic system. I would right. say most likely the, the impeller probably broke or something. And I mean, like you said, it's got a gajillion miles on it. Things do just yeah. wear out and break. Right, but right, right. It, it's a relatively good system. They never used it a whole bunch because there were other cheaper ways they could do it. But the yeah, premise like behind electric. it, yeah, well, the premise behind it is to lower the load on the electrical system because oh, as okay. they start putting these big electric fans, you're creating more problems and yak it, yak it, yak it goes. Yeah. So it was a good idea. It's just kind of expensive when it breaks. But then again, it doesn't break very often. You know, I've seen them go. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, if you got three hundred thousand miles out of it. It's yeah. just you, you can't complain too yeah. much, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, when he told me the price, I'm thinking, okay, they did the fan, the switch, the relay, the wire. Yeah. So no, just the hydraulic pump. <laughs> All right, I got one quick other question. Okay. Got a 2011 Lexus ES350, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm looking to up, not just upgrade the navigation in the car, not change the radio. Is that something that you guys can do? I can bring it to y'all, and, and if there's any upgrades in the navigation system, or is that a dealer-type deal? You just want to bring the, the maps and all up to date? Yeah. That's right. something you can normally do yourself. All you do is there's a generally say, does you have a CD player on the car? Yes. Uh-huh. Normally, I think they sell you a CD, and you mm-hmm. put it in there, and I think it loads through that. The ones that don't have CD players is a USB port, and they'll, they'll say like a little thumb drive or something, okay. I think. You might just okay. call, might call. call a parts department, ask them about an update, and okay. if they will say you, if not, yes, we could do it for you. But uh, okay. I think that's generally available through a DVD type thing. I see. Okay. All righty. All right, guys. Appreciate y'all's time. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh-huh. Bye bye. I right, can catch one more before the break. We've got Wayne online. Good morning, Wayne. Yeah. Good morning. I'll try to catch y'all show when I can. Thank you. Uh, I have a 2005 Chevy Silverado mm-hmm. with the five point. Three, I believe it yes, is. Yes, sir. Yep. What I'm having problems with is when I start it up in the morning, the lights come on, they, they kind of flicker. They just kind of flash. Mm-hmm. You're talking headlights? Yeah, even the dashboard lights. Okay, okay. okay. I'm going to tell you the most common thing on that, Wayne, and, and this was fairly common on those year models. There is a terminal on the back side of the alternator called a B-terminal, and they had some problems with those, and they came out with a replacement connector that 
generally fixes that. I can't say for sure that's the problem because there's, there's a bunch of things that could cause it, but that was one thing we used to do a lot. That B terminal would get where it was a little loose or something, and it just kind of vibrate from the engine vibration, and those lights would flicker like that. Another thing, do you have the side terminal battery or the top post battery in it? They're side terminal. Side terminal. Okay, well, yeah. I was going to say, you might just check and make sure those bolts are real good and tight. If you can turn either one of those cables by hand, they're too they loose. Right. And that can also cause that. On the ones with the top terminal batteries that take the, the new battery style, the negative terminal had a bad problem with it where they crimped down. They wasn't crimped properly. But just go on the back of the alternator and kind of wiggle that wire around, and if the lights flicker worse, that's most likely it. And you got to cut that little pigtail off, buy the parts from a dealer, and put them on. Or, or Where are you calling from, Wayne? I'm living in Gonzales. Yeah, because yeah, I was gonna say if you wanted to bring it by the shop, we could do it yeah. for you. Or if you want to try to do it yourself, the parts are available from Chevrolet, and you just have to solder, do a little soldering work. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm about to work on my truck this afternoon, anyways. Mm-hmm. I got home and I had all kinds of dust, brake dust on my front. Oh goodness, yeah, that was the most common problem we had uh, with those lights flickering like that was a B terminal on the alternator. Okay. All right. All right. I appreciate it. Okay. All man. right. Sir. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. All right, we're going to take our second quick little break. Be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate, and if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment about the show, you just give us a call, 291-6901. And we had mentioned before, Tim uh, right. in Minnesota had sent us some different things to talk about. One of his questions was, what is the best and worst models that you work on and why? Okay. And that's a kind of a loaded question. It is. And, you know, my answer, and you may have a different idea about this, but my answer is probably not the answer he would want or expect. But my answer is that any car that you are familiar with and equipped to work on is fairly easy and fairly straightforward. Right. And any car that you are not familiar with and not equipped for is going to be way 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 more difficult because each manufacturer will take a certain item let's just pick power steering electric power steering Mm -hmm. as an example gm may do it one way Mm -hmm. they may run the wiring and the software one way whereas the same type of electronic power steering on a toyota totally different totally different Mm -hmm. the the software reads different the the trouble codes are different so it's what you're familiar on with working on Mm -hmm. is to what makes it the easiest to fix. Well, and that's the reason you'll see more and more and more shops are going to a limited number of cars that mm-hmm. they can service because every design is so different and they're so prolific in their designs sure. that it takes so much time to keep going to service data, looking all this information up. It makes you very slow. Mm-hmm. 
it's expensive to the customer and it's frustrating but well it's also expensive for the shop that's because right they have to get all this they have to keep all this data online yeah, you know it's easy to access online but you have to stop and go do it whereas if you were familiar with the way this system worked you wouldn't well, spend as much time to, looking you have to buy all this information and you have to buy the updates of the information you have to buy the scan tools and all the different stuff and buy all the specialty tools and if there's a certain car that you just don't see enough mm-hmm. for instance and i've said this before and some people are going to kind of raise an eyebrow but say a subaru which is nothing wrong with the subaru right in the, in the northeast or northwest are extremely popular cars but in the south central united states they're not popular at all there's probably just not but a handful of them around in the baton rouge area it's just not worth us buying the software sure. the updates the scan tools to communicate with them to work on three cars because if i'm going to spend fifty thousand dollars on equipment a year i've got to get enough business to pay for that plus make a profit sure. stay in business and it's just not enough of those cars around to service. So, therefore, it's a car I couldn't service. So, to me, that would be an extremely difficult car to work on. Mm-hmm. However, if you lived in Washington State, it Where would probably there's... be a very, very easy car because you would be familiar with it. It would be like a Toyota to me. Sure. We work on an inordinate number of Toyotas simply because that is one of the top-selling cars. There's probably, what, five Toyota dealers, major Toyota dealers in the, in the area. area. And Gulf States Toyota is right there in Houston. So, that's one of the major import centers for the United States. So parts to us are very, very, very easy. The cars, we see them a lot. We're very familiar mm-hmm. with them. Same thing with General Motors, obviously, Ford, right. Chrysler. We see those because they are domestic cars. There are millions of them out there, so they become very, very easy for us to service. We've got the stuff to do it, and we're familiar with the designs. And a lot of the designs have what I call a pattern failure. And, you know, what happens on this vehicle happens on most of them. Right. So, so when you get one that comes in with that problem, you, you know, where, you, you to know where to go. You at least know where to start. You right. See, you've seen it before, so it makes right. it much, much easier. So not an exact answer, but that That's is the answer. The <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our phone. I've got Leonard on the line. Good morning, Leonard. Good morning, sir. Yes, sir. I have, I have a question. My grandson has a 2004 Ford Expedition. Mm-hmm. And he can press the accelerator all the way down to the floor trying to drive, Mm -hmm. and it won't go fast. And he's done a number of things to it, and some people say it might be the catalytic converter. Do you have any suggestions? Well, I tell you what, Leonard, if it might be, you will run out of money before you run out of might be's. Right. Because it might be all kind of stuff. The biggest thing you want to do in neutral, sitting still, if you give it the gas, does the tack go up? I didn't think about that. Okay, I will try that first. That's a simple, simple, Un- test. simple test. Unload it, give it the gas, and if, if the tack exu- goes up and down, then at least you know the throttle system's working because under a lot of conditions, the PCM can shut the throttle down and you can put it to the floor and just ain't going to go. That's an electrical okay. problem you're looking for. Right. Now, okay. if you suspect something like a catalytic converter, again, real easy, go in, temporarily remove the upstream oxygen sensor on each side. Now, that's right. going to make a lot of noise, but what you've done is relieve the back pressure. Go out and drive it. If it takes off fine, then you know that something is plugged up, right? I mean, right. you could alternatively do a back pressure test, but without the equipment to do that, you could just do this little simple test. Now, it's going to set a check engine light, right. obviously, because the oxygen sensors aren't there, but that's the least of your problems right now. Well, and you got to be right. careful when you take those oxygen sensors out on the upstream because where they point, that exhaust gas is going to escape right there. Right. If there's something flammable... You run the chance of it catching right. fire. Right, so you got so to kind of use some common sense right. and look around, make sure it's not going to blow hot exhaust gas off the thing. But that's just an easy way to do it. Now, another way you can do it, you get to the flange where the cap yeah. and the pipe go together. You can unbolt Loosen it. that, pan- that flange up to where just you want to do is, is bleed off the pressure. Right. 
So right, if, if you right. do that and it accelerates, okay, well, now we're looking at that. If you do that and it doesn't make any difference, you can forget all that. But if the cat, if the cats are stopped up, then you got to figure out why. Why they're stopped because up. that is a symptom. That is not the problem. Right. Something made Some, those cats right. go bad, and if you put a new one on there, it's going to happen again. It, generally, it's going to be the engine's burning too much fuel. It's got the, the fuel trim's excessive because of a bad O2 sense, a bad mass airflow sense, something like that. So you'd have to go. But that would be an easy way just right. to confirm that. Now, another thing yeah. that will also do the same exact thing is low fuel pressure. If it's got fuel pressure but doesn't have enough, let's say the spec is 50 PSI and it's got 40, it'll crank up, it'll idle, run. it'll yeah. run, but it won't have any power. So yeah. you have to do a fuel pressure test you, to test that. You, you, you mentioned the tack. How important is that? Well, yeah, if you give it the gas, unload it, and that tack rises up, and it'll just, it's, it accelerates it's like, it's supposed to. like it should, then you know that it's not the throttle shut down because if the throttle shuts down, the PCM can command the throttle down and right. if it's drive by wire, you're going to go 5, 10 miles an hour with accelerate on the floor. It just ain't going to go. Right. But that's an right. electronic problem. See, that's going to be totally that's, different. So you got to know what you're looking for. That's pretty much what the, what the problem you got. Okay, gentlemen, I thank you for the info and I'm going to pass it on to him. All right. All right. That was great, man. Thank you. You too, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was a good question. We were talking about Tim, who had sent these questions, sure. and we talked a little bit about the best and worst vehicle. And again, right. the answer is the, the best is going to be the one you're most familiar with. Have the stuff to work on it and the, the worst, knowledge to work. You on know, it. technically, Fiats are considered very difficult cars to work on by a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Now, at one time, we used to do when I used to own a body shop. We did all the service work for the Fiat dealer in Baton Rouge. Right. So we saw tons of these cars. And initially, I thought, man, this is a really difficult car. But once I got to working on got it, familiar with it got familiar with it, it was as easy as anything else. Sure. So it's just a matter of familiarity and having the right equipment to work on it. Second question was, and this is a really good question, if you could have a meeting with the CEO of GM, what would you tell him, good or bad? <laughs> and, you know, I think that not take anything away from the CEO of GM or any other major corporation, but I don't think there's anything I could say that would make any appreciable difference. Right. Simply because every decision he makes is logical in the system in which he works. Not unlike a politician who goes to Washington who's going to make big changes, but the system he is in is not going to allow him to do that. What I mean by that is a CEO of a corporation serves basically at the gratitude of the board of directors, mm-hmm. which is at the gratitude of the stockholders. If he does not turn X amount of profit every single quarter, right, forces are going to come to bear, and his, his behind is going to be out of there. So if he goes into a company and he says, look, man, we have for years, we've kicked the can down the road, we've defrayed maintenance, we've defrayed modernization, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. All that needs to be rectified. Mm-hmm. He is going to see a vast drop in profits for a number of quarters sure. now, eventually he may save the company and they may make better profit than they ever made before but in the interim there's gonna be people suffering it's not unlike a politician who goes to Washington. he says i'm gonna make this change this change this change the changes he needs to make are going to get a lot of screaming and hollering and the benefit is going to come after he's out of office sure so no no CEO, one wants, yeah. and no president and no senator is ever going to make the changes that's that really necessary because the suffering is going to come during his tenure. And he looks like the bad guy. And the benefits are going to come 20 years else. down the road. Because the United States, General Motors, the political system, whatever you want to talk about, did not get in the condition it's in yesterday or last week or even 10 years ago. Right. It got in this condition 50 to 75 years ago is when it started. And it's been going downhill gradually. You're not going to go in there in and one four-year term and, and turn a, it around. Right. It just ain't going to happen. 
Same thing with the president of Ford or Chrysler or anything else. He's the, you know, Ford one time, remember, they had a slogan, quality is job one. Uh And you just had to laugh because the dividend is job one. Right. And always will be because you get towards the end of the quarter and the engineers say, you know, boss, these design isn't really quite ready. He says, ship the cars. If it don't, the profit's going to drop. Well, yeah, but it's not... uh, Ship the cars. Let the dealers work it out. Right. We, we're using them as the, the guinea pigs, right. the, the learning uh, the, area. The dividend is always going to be job one sure. in the system in which these guys operate because everybody's got a boss. Even the GM, Even, yeah. CEO of GM has got a boss. He can't just walk in and say, okay, well, we're going to do is start making the best possible car. We're going to no do this. What we're going to do this. Yeah. Right. No matter what it costs, and then we're going to sell it for this much. Right. We, we're he, not going to do that. He just can't do it because he's going to be fired. They're going to throw him out of there oh, and get, yeah. there and get the profits back up. So, again, kind of a roundabout out answer to the question, but that is the answer. Right. There's really not a whole lot you could say. I mean, you could say, hey, you got to start thinking long term. you, you got to get away from the short-term strategy because it's going to kill you in the long you know, Sooner or later, you can always it's kick, catch up. You can kick the can down the road so far. Right. It's going to catch you. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up, and then you know, you're going yeah. to have to pay the piper. Hey, we got to take our last quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Lie back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hevolted Supervillain, art nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par, melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Some days... I just want a garden. Hey, Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. In between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. 291-6901 is the number. And we'll be glad to chat you up and give you some information. Yeah, we will do what we can do to try to help you out you know we were talking about tim's email and i had some really really good questions the third question and this was the final question he says if cars were maintained like airplanes in other words meticulously right could they last for 30 years and i guess the answer to that is yes and no because today's cars are not like the older cars you know, if you had a 1955 chevrolet you could pretty much keep that car going forever because you could even fabricate parts that you didn't have. It was mm-hmm. pretty simple designs. It was all mechanical. Uh, everything was mechanical. I mean, other than the battery and the starter and right. all that, or generator, that was about it. But on modern cars, there's so many electronics on it that they're going to go out at some point in time. Right. It's sort of like your PC at home. It's going to last a long time, but one day it's going to go out. When it crashes, that's it. And if you can no longer get components to fix it, your only choice is throw it away and get another one. Sure, just like you do with your PC at home. Right. When it gets out of date and the parts get too expensive, you can go out and buy a brand new one, you start over. Right, and fortunately, that PC is about $300. And, and that car that is about $80,000. $30,000 <laughs> to $80,000. Yeah. 
but it's going to that. Now, in all fairness to the question, if you meticulously maintain the car, number one, not only are you going to have fewer problems, you're probably going to have a lot less expensive problems. Sure. I mean, it's not going to guarantee you have no problems. It's sort of like we talked about before. If you have an automatic transmission and you service it religiously, right? the odds of a hydraulic or lubrication-related problem are drastically lower. But if a solenoid burns out, electrical part burns out, or the weld on a gear breaks, sure. it's going to fail. It sure. doesn't no matter, matter how, many how times. well you've maintained it. That is sort of a design flaw or electrical problem. You can't prevent that. It's just not within the scope. Right. But the vast majority of the problems you're going to have are going to be hydraulic problems, pressure problems, slipping problems, and that. Related, those, related to old, uh, old dirty old fluid. fluid or plug filters. And those you can pretty much wipe out sure. with a regular service. The same thing with your fuel system. If you change your fuel filter where it's able to be changed, uh-huh. it doesn't mean you will never have a fuel-related problem. It just means the odds of having a fuel pump go out are much okay. lower. Right. Coolant, the same thing. You may change your coolant on a regular basis. That will eliminate the corrosion, which is a major, major failure factor in it. But, but it's it not doesn't gonna... mean a water pump won't eventually wear out. The oh. bearing go out. Or radiator tank. Uh, radiator break. tank split because it's old and it's right. plastic so to answer the question a maintained vehicle will suffer far fewer failures on average far less inopportune failures which are unexpected failures mm-hmm. and also less expensive failures right by far however it's not going to eliminate failures and it's not going to make the car last forever if it's not designed to, to last that long forever yeah, yeah. The cars today have a definite design life yeah they're going to go so far and some things are going to start to break because that's as far as they're made to go even if they're perfectly maintained they're just not going to go and and the problem with that is by the time all this happens those parts may not be available anymore that's getting to be a bigger and bigger problem you know we, we call a dealership all the time and well that part's been discontinued mm-hmm. or they no longer make this or you know you can maybe move this over to that but the part's not there anymore. Right. And, and even if the part is there, the software program may not be there anymore. Right. The software to operate the part, that's getting to be a bigger and bigger concern because all that came in somewhere around 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. So those cars are starting to get a few years old now, and we're going to start to see these problems sure. in the future that we're really not seeing just yet. And then we start adding in electric cars, again, where this particular wheel motor, when they discontinue that wheel motor, right, is programmed to that car. You can't take one off another car and put on there. Now, these are going to be the kind, kind of a planned, a planned obsolescence sort right. of program, and it all comes down to the car companies want to make money, and so they got to force you in new cars. And everybody keeps a car for three hundred thousand miles. They look at, hey, that's two cars we didn't sell. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You and know, that, that's the boat I'm in right now. That's where I plan to do. Well, like everything else, I mean, you follow the money. Sure. You know, and when one factor, one party in a relationship of two people has almost all the power, and the other one has almost no power. Eh, you know who's going to probably win. <laughs> hey, let's go back to our phone lines. All right. Hey, Willie. Well, the question you had just a while ago that if you go to a president or CEO of a car company, mm-hmm. suggestion, tell him to listen to the dealers. <laughs> <laughs> what did Lee I. Coco say when Christ was going under? Yeah. But, what did the people say when uh, these, I believe, about uh, 91 Chevy things came out? Yeah. 
that yeah. dealers told them they weren't going to buy. Right. And, so you know, the that— thing to do is tell them, listen to the dealers. Well, that, and, you know, the thing is, they don't make decisions based on what the public asks for. No. They make decisions based on what a panel of experts— well, you know, I, so-called I've been involved, Yeah, I've been involved in these situations where I've asked these questions to engineers at high levels— and what they say, they said, we don't ask the American public what they want. They don't know what they want. They don't know what they want until we give it to them. And that's their attitude. Yeah. And you're not going to change that. You know, I mean, they're very well aware that dealers have certain things. If you look at, like, this big announcement from GM where they're shutting down these car lines in the United States, but what car lines are they shutting down? It's, it's cars that don't sell because they probably are cars that shouldn't, they were impractical cars, shouldn't made in the first place. And I don't want to get a big discussion about, like, the Chevy Volt. But, again, you got a car that goes 200 miles, and you got charge it for six hours. How many people are going to buy that? I mean, a handful will, but I'm not buying that. You know, why don't you make a better gasoline car that you already got that lasts 200,000 miles like it's supposed to and doesn't cost me a fortune to maintain, and maybe I'll buy that, you know? But, okay. yeah, they, they just, they're not in a position to listen is the point I wanted to make. It's not that the problems couldn't be changed. It's just the system they operate in dictates they do things a certain way, and that's how they're going to do them. And I don't think the CEO has enough power to, to turn that around. Maybe he does, but he, he'd have to be one heck of a man. Well, Lee Coco did pretty good when he took over, didn't he? Uh, not so much. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they spiked up for a couple of years, but then they went right down lower than they were before, you know? Okay. So. Okay, I just thought I'd make that suggestion. Well, I appreciate right. it, man. Thank, okay, thanks, Willie. Thank really. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And, you know, Willie makes a good point in that if they would listen to the end user, but for some reason they've got – yeah, I, I asked this question one time. I said, why do you do things like putting a piece of plastic that saves two pennies where a piece of metal could have worked, it would have cost two pennies more, but then you got to recall all the cars and spend millions of dollars. Why didn't you just put the metal and charge 10 cents more for the car? Mm-hmm. And what he told me, I'll never forget. He says, Lewis, let me tell you something. He says, if we could get 10 cents more for this car, we'd, put ten, we'd get 10 cents and not give you the right. metal part. He says, when they design a car, at the zero stage of development, he says the people in that room are psychologists, economists, salespeople, all right. this. They say, okay, who is the target market? This group of people right here are people who would buy this car. Okay. What's their disposable income? It's this much. Okay, so the car's got to cost this much because we know a certain percentage of disposable income is what they can spend. Sure. What features will it take to sell this car at to this price people. to these people? These are the features we got to have. All this is decided before they ever drew a line. They already know what the car is going to cost, what features it's going to have. So now they go to the engineer and say, okay, guys, we got to make money on this car. We've got to have these features. We've got to have this top price. Every penny you can shave off this project is more money we're going to make. Right. And 10 cents doesn't sound like much, but 10 cents times 100,000 cars is a lot of money. Is a lot of money. So that's sort of kind of the way cars are designed as opposed to just build the car and then look at it and decide how much you got to sell it for to make a profit. Exactly. So that's why you get some of the bonehead stuff you get. And, again, I don't think any CEO is going to be able to change that unless he's one heck of a man who's willing to take the ravages of, right. of Satan. You know, right? <laughs> They're going to demonize him. They're going to try to fire him. They're going to try to get rid of him. They're going to try to impeach him. They're going to do everything they can do because a lot, yeah. lot, lot of people there are making money off the way the system is the way it is. Yep. Hey, I see we got to get on out of here, get it wound up. To, uh, like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find the written review, and fill it out for us. Hey, we really appreciate when you fill those written reviews out with a positive note because it moves us up in the ranking so that when people type in auto repair, our rating comes in close to the top, and so more people are likely to listen to us. There you go. There you go. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.